Welcome to a podcast dedicated to your mental health. Hi, I'm Bailey with the Recording Library of West Texas. Hi, I'm Christy Edwards. I'm the Executive Director and a therapist at Centers for Children and Families. Hi, I'm Melanie Size. I'm the Marketing and Development Director at Centers for Children and Families. Together, we're bringing you tips and tricks on how to navigate this thing called life. This is Center Solutions. <laughs> Due to the nature of some of the topics that are discussed, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Center Solutions. I hope that you guys are enjoying the show as much as we are. I wanted to remind you that you can write to us with questions, comments, concerns, or topics that you would like for us to cover. You can email centersolutions at gmail.com or stay tuned to the end of this episode to hear other options on how to contact us. Today we're talking about addiction and overdose from a mother's perspective. And joining us in the studio today, we have Kim. Hi, Kim. Welcome. Hi, Bailey. Thank you for having me. If you would, please introduce yourself and kind of tell us what we're going to be discussing today. Sure. I'm Kim Collier. I live in Midland, Texas, have for a very long time. And I have a daughter who died of a heroin overdose three and a half years ago on February 26, 2016. And I think the main thing I want to share is any mother who's going through this that she's not alone. It's such an isolating thing, and I want her to know that, and I want her to know there's no shame. And I want to share a little bit of my story about what an incredible person Kirby was, that she was a good person, and that she should not be defined by her addiction, just like I shouldn't be defined as the mother of a, a daughter who died from a drug overdose. But it's, it's part of who I am, and if anyone listening can can learn something from it, then it'll, it'll be a good day. Well, and we thank you so much for yes. joining us. Kim is a dear friend of mine, and I, I just think what she does to, for advocacy in this arena is phenomenal. Thank you, Melanie. Yes, definitely. Thank you for joining us today to tell your story. Thank you for bringing awareness to this subject. And Melanie, I know that we're going to kind of set this up. Um, we've got Kim's personal story, but we also have an excerpt from an AP News article. If you want to tell us about that, just so uh, the audience knows what we're going to be kind of referencing. Sure. Um, so in the article, um, there it goes through the experiences of this family, and it's actually called A Family's Journey into Grief and Guilt. There's a, a little portion of the article that I'm going to read. In an instant, the years-long cycle of treatment centers, detoxes, and jail cells, the late-night phone calls, the holes punched in the walls, the nights spent pleading with God, the emptied 401ks, it was all over. And a father, mother, and sister were left to torment over what they should have done or shouldn't have done, or done differently, or better, or sooner. The young man in this article became one of 70,237 Americans dead from overdose that year. The death count from opioids alone has climbed higher than four, uh, claimed, excuse me, higher than 400,000 lives as the epidemic enters its third decade. Wow. That's really powerful. I want to know more about Kirby. I, I know that she was so much more than just this story. 
Tell us more about your daughter. Sure. Kirby was born here in Midland, the second of two daughters. Both of them planned, loved every second of her life. Um, I'm married to her father. We've been married 31 years. She has an older sister, Ashley, two and a half years older. And Kirby had a fantastic childhood. We are remodeling right now. And actually, within the past month, we have completely turned her room and bathroom into a guest room and guest bathroom. So I'm going through a lot of her stuff right now. And... I'm pulling out things. She was um, in the Gifted and Talented program. She qualified for all Gifted and Talented classes. She was in Quest the first year they started that, the GT program in lower grades in elementary school. She loved animals, and she kind of got that from me. I was reading um, something she'd written. We had, you name it, of course, dogs and cats, but we had guinea pigs and gerbils, a spiny mouse, aquatic frogs, other frogs, (laughs) every animal possible. She loved those. She was very artistic, um, but she loved math. Math was her favorite subject. And when she struggled later on, we had her tested to see what was going on. She tested just a skosh below genius with her IQ. So that wasn't the problem. Mm -hmm. But she was um, very strong, very athletic, played volleyball, um, could have been an amazing player if she had worked harder at it. What what was going on? What happened? What, when did you f- first start noticing some things were off? Sure, and that's a really hard question because she was a pain in the neck from the time she was little. The addict is irritable, restless, and discontent. And Kirby, from the time she was a little girl, was irritable, restless, and discontent. She was mean to us. She was so mean to her sister. She always said we favored her sister, but her sister was easier, so she wasn't getting in trouble. Um loved them equally, she was. She had a hard time keeping friends. She was a difficult friend. I've talked to her friends since then. Um, she truly wanted to be in the popular crowd so badly to the point where she would become fixated on that. One of her good friends um, told me, and this is a quote from her, everything was a game to Kirby. She needed to win, conquer, or outsmart. And that's a really interesting comment from one of her peers. But I would say the summer before ninth grade, things started getting really, really difficult. And I did try to take her to therapists throughout her life. Um, 9-11 was really hard on her. She was only in second grade, and she was afraid I was going to die. So I took her to someone to help her with that. Um, As she got older, though, she was not a fan of therapy. She would go, but she wouldn't talk. She'd say, I'll go, but because I told her I'd take away her phone or something like that. So she'd go and she'd just sit there. She had a bad attitude. She was disrespectful. She was embarrassed by us and just mortified by our existence. But the summer before ninth grade, um, we found out later she was sneaking my husband's truck out. She would take his keys and a group of them would sneak out the windows and drive around all night. And she would go take her sister's driver's license And we found this out later. Um, So that was just starting with the rule breaking. And then in 10th grade, that's when her sister went to college and Ashley went to A&M. And we found out she was drinking, lying, cheating in school, sneaking out. She stole the chemistry final and posted it on Facebook. And she had done great on it. She had made a good, but of course she ended up having to get a zero and going in DAEP with kids who bring guns to school. So... She failed algebra, which she could have made 100 in. Um, We found out she was using marijuana at this point. She would use filthy language. And her whole 
her whole thing was divide and conquer with the parents. She would try to pit us against each other. She would ruin our vacations and holidays. She was angry, not appreciative, cursing. I mean, we went to Hawaii. We went to New York. We took her to these incredible places. Yet she was always irritable, restless, and discontent, which I didn't understand addiction at that time Mm -hmm. at all. Um, Took her to a clinical psychologist here in Midland in 2010, and he said that she would give up when she was challenged. She suffered from mild anxiety. She had difficulty relaxing, but she was not bipolar. She had a very mild type of depression, no learning disability, possible oppositional defiant disorder, but her IQ just under genius. And he said, and this is a quote, don't rant, rave, or rescue her. And I thought, that's hard, because I do rant, rave, and rescue. Yeah, how, how do you hear nice that as, your, as a mom? Yeah. You know, how do you... parents do. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't. But I was desperate for help. Mm -hmm. So at this point, she was so ugly at home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was sneaking out. So we put... We live in an older home. We put all new windows on the house so that she couldn't just, you know, beat one and have it open. Put an alarm system on it. She figured out how to bypass it, of course, because she was so smart and so Mm -hmm. sneaky. So at night, my husband would stand there with her, and I would go check every window to make sure that we were locked in. It was, I mean, I was held hostage in my own home. I couldn't go out of town. I couldn't go visit Ashley. It was tough at that time. And so we put her on Vivance and ADD medicine, which I think was a huge mistake. I wish we never had. Um, ADD and ADHD kids are at much more of a risk for suffering from addiction. And then we put her on a mild antidepressant, but she had heard it would make her gain weight, so she wouldn't take it. She would put them in her mouth and then spit them out. Mm-hmm. I found that out. Now, she did like the ADD medicine because that's... Energy and takes away your appetite. Yeah, exactly. And it's the first choice for most prescribers with a kid with ODD, oppositional defined disorder. Oh. Oh. Because we're desperate. Mm-hmm. We're des- we yeah, are, are desperate. desperate. Our homes are a nightmare. I mean, my husband and I... We love each other very much, but it was hard on our marriage. It was hard on my relationship with my other daughter. It's so isolating when you're dealing with this. You feel like you're the only person in the world dealing with it, and it's just isolating. You don't want to be around anybody. At this time, I contacted a school in East Texas for troubled teens, and they accepted her, but then it was recommended to me by someone not to send her there. And in retrospect, should I have? I don't know. That's a lot of, uh, like the article that I was discussing, it, it's a lot of reevaluating and questioning, and I can only imagine looking back now, because I feel like as a parent, I do that constantly, no matter what, mm-hmm. all the time. What did I do wrong? How did I, what could I have done better? It's, uh, it's, a, it's just a parent's burden. It is. It truly is. Yeah. And her junior year, things were better. She had a good group of friends. But then, of course, she told me later, I was bored to death and miserable that year, probably because I was happy because she seemed (laughs) (laughs) better. And one thing I was looking back at notes I'd made over the years, she would sneak out and she'd put her My Twin doll in the bed because then fan the hair out so it looked like she was in her bed. She was She knew all the tricks, didn't she? She absolutely did. I mean, I've talked to Melanie at length about tricks that that she used to do kim gives great advice about tips and tricks by the way and we've talked about how great it would be for her to write a little uh manual (laughs) about what to look for Mm -hmm. of course technology's changed in the last few years so i'd be behind behind the time (laughs) on that but anyway when she 
Uh, she got accepted to A&M, and actually the president of the university, Dr. Bowen Lofton, is the one who gave her her acceptance. She was barely in the top 25% because she had failed a class, hadn't done well, but her scores were so good that she got in. She got into four schools, petroleum engineering departments. I was so excited Amazing. for her to go. Yeah. Well, because I wanted her out of the house. I was so – it was – no one can understand unless, unless they've lived there to see what it was like, but it was really bad. And then she decided, no, I'm going to stay here. She had this boyfriend, and so she was going to go to Midland College. And then that fall of 2012 is when we found out things were really getting bad. She was using marijuana, alcohol, and Xanax, not prescribed to her, of course. She was getting it illegally. And then December 4th, 2012, we actually had an intervention. We hired a professional interventionist who came to the house, and we had things set up to, we had the plane tickets bought to fly her to Southern California, to uh, Orange County, to enroll in a drug and alcohol treatment facility. So. I think a lot of parents get to that point where they're like, okay, what whatever I have maybe have been delusional about before or unaccepting of before, this is the line that's going to make me stop and reevaluate. I'm not going to second guess anymore. I'm just going to act. Because I believe that right. it's in her best interest and our best interest to make that kind of move. And I think there were two lines that kind of did that. Mm -hmm. The first one happened a little bit before that. I had breast cancer and I was having to drive to Odessa for radiation because our place here was uh, down for the week. And my husband calls me here. I'm going to have radiation. And Kirby is stumbling outside. Um, vomiting, completely incoherent, find out later she had been in a car with some kids, she wanted to get out, so they just let her go, and she, if you combine Xanax and alcohol, it can be deadly, and so I have to come back from radiation and deal with that, and then as it got closer, um, she, she would use suicide all the time as a manipulation tool. She'd say, if you don't give me this, I'm going to kill myself, which that you know, you always need to take it seriously, but that was manipulation. Mm -hmm. But at this point, someone told me she was trying to find a gun because she wanted to die. So that's what made us pull the plug. I called the interventionist, had this set up, got her, you know, wrote the check and had everything ready, bought the plane tickets to send her to Southern California. So I had to look my 18-year-old daughter that I had given birth to, that I had breastfed for 12 months, that I had loved every second of her life, I had to look her in the eye and say, Kirby, either you get on the plane with these strangers right now and go to rehab where you know no one, or you walk out that door with the clothes on your back and don't come home. It was, it was that desperate at that point. What a brave um, you know, set of parents to say, we believe that this, we're either going to send you into the hands of someone that we believe can help. We've got to release you because what we've tried before is not doing it. And we're all going down. Exactly. And, 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 you know, the therapist at centers that we've, we are working with families like this all the time. And it's, it's like at some point you never want to give up on your, on your child, but you have to say, I can't help whenever I am in a desperate situation myself. But I also think, um, it's an act, it's a selfless act, truly, because sometimes mm -hmm. you're just feeding your own emotional yes. need to keep your child and hold them to you when really you don't have the capability of handling that situation anymore. So it really is a selfless act. You're taking away your emotion and saying this is what's best for you yes. and everyone involved. So, yeah, that's a it's a big step. Well, it's so hard because as moms, as women, we no, I'm generalizing, but we 
tend to think with our hearts. And that's why it was nice to have my husband, who's an engineer, who could think more with his head. And, of course, we were not always on the same page, but we were with this. It had reached that point where we had to do something because Kirby was going to die. Mm-hmm. She, she really was. We were that desperate for it. And that night when she got on the plane, now it was a, whole, it was a long day because she was um, cursing and screaming and saying, I'll never do this, and she ran. I mean, she shot out the door and ran. But when she finally went, I slept for the first time, and I don't know how long that I was able to actually sleep. Mm-hmm. Wow. So she she came back. She came back to go to rehab. Yeah, she, she just ran down the street, and a friend picked her up. Okay. It was so funny. I mean, <laughs> I remember these little things in the morning because I'd taken her phone away. She, at this point, she didn't have her phone. She didn't have her car. She didn't have her driver's license. I'd taken all the money out of her checking account. She didn't have that. She didn't have anything. I had a key lock on my door. I mean, Melanie knows. I would keep the key in my pocket so she couldn't get anything. But she still had her iPad. Well, she runs out of the room when he says, I'm... And the interventionist yells, shut down your Internet. So I ran and unplugged the router because she could get on and contact someone. But somehow she managed to get a friend to pick her up. But, yes, she came back, went. She went to Southern California, wonderful place, um, in Newport Beach, Costa Mesa. She was there for six months. We sent her to a 90-day inpatient program, and then she did their college program. And, yes, she got in trouble. She was a rule breaker. But she went all the way through, and then they recommended she stay out there to be away from the bad influences back here. So we let her stay out there. She went into IOP and sober living. Um, she hated doing that because she didn't want to be monitored. And we didn't realize at the time she was basically killing time until she got out to start using again. But she still, she went to college out there. She made a 4.0 with 21 hours. She was taking 21 hours to get into nursing school, made a 4.0. But come to find out later, she went in using heroin. heroin she went in using marijuana, Xanax, and alcohol. Yet, who do you meet when you're in rehab? Mm-hmm. She meets people who use meth and heroin. Mm-hmm. My little adrenaline junkie was fascinated by that. Mm-hmm. And this girl who looked down on people who use meth, looked down on people who used heroin, ends up using meth. Wow. That's all. I think that's a big fear for a lot of people. It is a valid fear. Mm. That's interesting. Well, and I think, you know, some people were talking about, well, marijuana is not a gateway drug or, you know, some of these things. And I'm like, I just, you know, you just want to scream at the top of your lungs that, you know, how, how wrong that is, how faulty that thinking is. Because if you have someone that is already mixing drugs, you know, or Xanax, marijuana, alcohol, they're game for the next party. Absolutely. If the next party is cocaine, if the next party is, you know, whatever it might be, whether it's meth or heroin or whatever, I'm I'm down if you know, especially if there's the ADHD quotient, if there's the rebellious part of that, if there's a, you know, I here I am in uh, rehab, and yet, guess what? I am just waiting. I'm I'm biding my time. I think it's very similar to uh, there are kids that can pick up a cigarette mm-hmm. and smoke a cigarette and decide it's not for them, or right. now and then. And then there are the people that will continuously, that is now their life sentence. Oh, sure. They will smoke forever. And there are some people that can smoke marijuana for, you know, forever and never be anything more. Right. But you have to recognize your own danger signals. It's just like, you know, it's cigarettes, it's alcohol. Mm-hmm. If you have a history of alcoholism in your family, there is some reason that you probably don't need to go down that road. You just need to hold the line, be a little bit, you know, disciplined whenever it comes to that. Because once you do that... It's like if the if the genetics is already there and the hook gets there, 
you're gone. Yeah. Oh, without what a doubt. Te- what teenager does that monitors themselves no. ever? <laughs> well, sure. Well, 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 you know, developmentally, they're not equipped to do Absolutely. that, right? Well, and Christy, mm-hmm. you know this, of course, their brain, that part that regulates right from wrong, how to behave, mm-hmm. all of that isn't developed yet. And I've done so much reading and almost everyone who ends up an addict started using before age 18. That's right. If you can wait till you're over 21, it almost never happens because the brain is still forming. And the addict, they're looking for something to make them feel better. They don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. who they are. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Kirby did. And I will never believe that marijuana should be legal because mm-hmm. my daughter started with marijuana. It helped make her feel more comfortable, more who she was, and she moved on from there to alcohol, Xanax. She tried everything out there, and then she got to California and got hooked on meth and heroin, and it did start with marijuana. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but that's mine. Right, Mm -hmm. and I support that. Thank you. (laughs) So, So Kirby eventually comes back home? No, she stayed out there. We let her stay because we thought she was doing great. She um, got accepted to UT Medical Branch Galveston's Nursing School, one of the best in Texas. Grades were fantastic. She was a master manipulator. And, of course, I wanted to know she was – I wanted to think she was doing well. And she seemed to be. She would come home to visit. We had much better times. We took some vacations. She would come home. I'd go out there to visit her. And she seemed so much better. She was happier. She was nicer. She apologized for all those years of treating us so badly. But then we meet in Galveston October – I'm sorry – September of 2015, for her to do her interview at UT Medical Branch Galveston. She flew in from California. I flew in from Medland. And after the interview, she tells me, Mom, I've got to tell you something. And I went, oh, no. She said, I've been using meth. Well, I don't know why my heart just stopped. Judgmental me, who thought she'd gotten beyond all that. Um, And so we talked about it. She said, I don't want to anymore. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to have to talk to your dad. We're going to have to figure this out. So we set a program in place where she had to be drug tested weekly. She had to, a lot of things that we said. Well, of course, she was figuring out ways to get around the drug test. I even did an observed where they watch you urinate. And she still managed to get around that. And then the next month, we're at a friend's daughter's wedding in San Antonio. This is in October. And one of her friends calls and tells me that she's using heroin as well because the meth keeps you awake for days. You can't sleep. So then the heroin helps you sleep. So my husband flew from San Antonio to Orange County that day. Um, I had to hire, I hired a bodyguard. I mean, this sounds like a bad movie, but I hired a bodyguard because her roommate said this guy that she was with this because she always would have a boyfriend was bad news and that he had a gun and all of this. So I hire an ex-Navy SEAL for my husband. Or wait, was he ex-DEA? Everything runs together. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, it, that's what he did, provided bodyguard mm-hmm. services. Forrest went in. When Kirby came home that night, he was sitting there waiting for her and said, you are going to detox tomorrow. She went back to the original place to detox. He packed up her whole apartment. I mean, found drug paraphernalia everywhere. Moms, dads, if you find little pieces of foil, burn stuff on it, that is a huge red don't, flag. Don't be in denial. No, don't, do not be in it and think that's nothing. Do not be in denial. That is obviously um, an issue. Well, then he loads everything up in a U-Haul, drives it back from California to Midland. Kirby runs from detox, spends the next few months living with this, this boyfriend, 
And we had told her, all we're prepared to do at this point, we're cutting you off financially 100%, we're giving you nothing, is we will fly you across the country to Florida to go to a rehab that supposedly specialized in heroin. Well, come to find out later, the east coast of Florida is not a good place for that. There are so many overdoses. At this point, I still, you're in this crisis mode when you're trying to find one, so you don't have the time to do the research. And I would never have sent Kirby to the east coast of Florida for heroin addiction. And a few months later, she's in, she goes, starts in one, gets kicked out. At this point, she's only going to one that will be paid for by our insurance. We're not paying for rehab out of pocket anymore because she's draining us dry. Mm-hmm. I mean, we haven't even talked about, you know, the financial side of all of this, but it's overwhelming. So she goes to one, gets kicked out for using, goes to another, finally completes a 30-day program in Port St. Lucie, Florida, moves into um a sober living, gets a job. She gets employee of the month at her job, of course, in February, because that's how she was. She was very charming. And we went out to visit her, thank goodness, January 23rd, the day after her 22nd birthday. We went and visited her, and her therapist had told me, I think when she gets out, she's going to go right back to using. All she wanted was to get her car back, which we weren't going to give her the car back. I mean, she needed to prove it to us. And she was just she was just sad. She would tell me some days, you know, I just don't know if I can beat this. And we told her, you at this point, we weren't going to let her come home, but we would have let her go into a sober living, of course, in Texas. That's what I wanted her to do was come home, but she didn't want to, and she kept finding places where insurance would pay for it. So she was very good at that. And on February 26, 2016, that evening, um, my husband, Forrest, my daughter, Ashley, had gone to Dallas. I was home by myself. I got a call from a detective in West Palm Beach, Florida, that my daughter, who had been 22 for one month, beautiful, healthy, strong, brilliant, had died of a heroin overdose. My daughter stuck a needle in her vein, sitting in the bathroom, of a sober living and died alone. She just went to sleep. And anyone who's listening to this who is considering drugs, the first time you use them, you're with someone. But when you die, you're alone. Those people who are with you when you start are not there with you when you die. And my baby died alone. And our lives were changed forever on that day. That's a very powerful statement and very true. Because it's, it is, it becomes a... That's that's something you take on alone. I can't Absolutely. imagine what all the emotions you felt with that phone call. <laughs> What'd you do? What? Well, of course I didn't believe it. At first I said, I said, you've got the wrong person. And I, at first when she said overdose, I thought she meant she was in the hospital. So I said, okay, what hospital is she in? I'm going to get there as fast as I can. And she said, no, she's dead. And I was just numb. I mean, in denial, I didn't believe it. And then I had to call my husband, call my daughter, and they're in Dallas. So I, I called a friend who came over to sit with me that night. And then the next day, I had to plan my child's funeral, 22 years old. I had to pick out a headstone. I had to plan a funeral, pick out music. You know, thank goodness my husband was able to... Uh, give a eulogy, which was just beautiful. And he was able to pick out pictures. We went through, you know, her whole life. And it was it was amazing. On the day of her funeral at First Baptist Church in the chapel, 
I thought no one would be there. I told our preacher, I said, maybe 10 people will be there. Family came in. It was more than standing room only. It was overflow into the chapel foyer because all of the kids who'd been in college with her were seniors. They were all coming home. All the parents came. A girl organized a volleyball tribute game, and we all went and did that. It was um, it was a beautiful time to celebrate her very, very short life and the support we had. I'm a strong Christian, and I could not have gotten through this without, number one, my faith, my faith in God. I was with Kirby when she prayed the prayer of salvation, and I know she's in heaven, and I know I will be with my daughter again. Some of her friends have dreamed. They've seen her in heaven, and she's told them, you know, I'm happy now. I absolutely believe that. My family Thankfully, my husband and I have a good marriage. My daughter, Ashley, and I have a wonderful relationship. She's married. Her husband is fantastic. And then my friends. Our friends have been phenomenal to surround us with love and support. And and those are truly the things that get you through whenever you feel like, I just want to crawl in the back of my closet and not face the world and people pray you through it, support mm. you through it, you know, encourage you through it, laugh with you, cry with you, those kind of things. That That is recovery <laughs> for the people that are, are still here, you know, so, and it's, it's the most heartbreaking thing that, you know, anybody can have to go through is to lose a child. Um, and especially whenever, you know, people will be saying, well, that one could have been prevented, but it, you know, could it have, I mean, she had an illness and, um, it took her over and consumed her life. Mm -hmm. Something that was interesting that Kim said was that, her therapist told her, I don't, yeah. when she comes back, I don't think, I think she's mm-hmm. going to go right back sure. into it. What is that? That's, that is a shock to me that mm-hmm. a therapist would respectfully admit that. Tell me, tell us more some, from your perspective. Well, I mean, I think if you have a therapist that says, oh yeah, we're good. We're golden. There's, this is not going to happen again. Maybe not be existing in reality because you have to recognize whenever you have someone that comes to you that has a true struggle with this, it's not easy. It is. There's relapse. There's, you know, progress. There's, you know, relapse. There's progress. But if they do not have the the coping skills or the ability to say, I can see beyond my addiction to where I'll be better, because thank goodness that she was at least honest, you know, Mm -hmm. because she could if she was a manipulator, she could have lied and said everything. But it sounds like she was honest with her therapist. Not really. She. Kirby never embraced therapy. I think the therapist just figured that out. Okay. She was okay. well, the only one. It's really hard to find that perfect fit. And Kirby was a pain in the neck. Yeah. We never found someone. When she was in California in treatment the first time, mm-hmm. um, she had a private therapist, a PhD, every week for six months and would never really open up. The one that she finally had in Port St. Lucie was the first one, I think, who understood Kirby and who got her. Mm -hmm. And we told her, you know, you can keep going to her after you get out. We're big believers in therapy. I really tried hard to get Kirby to keep going to her Mm -hmm. because she finally found someone who basically wouldn't put up with her garbage, you know, who would call her on things and be tough with her. But, of course, as soon as she got out, she didn't want to. And I believe in exploring um, medication-assisted Mm-hmm. Okay, MAT. Mm-hmm. Remind me what that is. Medication-assisted therapies. I'm a big believer in medication-assisted therapy. We never really did it with Kirby, but I think Vivitrol, all those things, I think people need to absolutely look at those mm-hmm. and give them a chance. Um, 
you know, some people, there's two minds. No, you should never do methadone, but yeah. maybe you can do this. But I tell you what, if, if I could go back, that's one of the things I would have considered a little more seriously mm. with her. Yeah, you've got to, whenever you're in the in the throes of an addiction, you've got to get with a therapist or, you know, a, a doctor, a psychiatrist, psychologist who understands some of what that is. They don't have to have, you know, only have to be specialists, but you have to have some understanding. You also have to be a realist, and you also have to know the mindset of an addict is to manipulate, to be untruthful, to mislead, and everything else, even in the midst of asking for help, because that's what's got them through so far. So you've got to be able to knock down those walls. And, it's, you know, once again, if you get somebody that you connect with, you almost have to move heaven and earth to make sure that connection stays. Mm-hmm. And we tried. Yeah. We really. And that's one of the things that gives me peace is that we tried. Mm-hmm. Was I perfect? Oh, my goodness. No, of course not. But I did, I think, the best and more than the best that I could possibly do to For try sure. to do everything to encourage Kirby to live a happy life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, no, I just think there really isn't a recipe, and that's one of the main things. There's nothing specific. There's every individual case is different. So trying all different ways you possibly can, and as a parent, what can you do but to research it? Because there is no perfect recipe. There isn't. It's not a one-size-fits-all by any means. Kim, it sounds like your family, like you did everything the right way to... You tried everything that you could, you know, you did your research, you, you know, made contacts, you sent her places, you listened to her feedback, you know, and, and, you know, we talked about you don't want to second guess what you did, but at some point, it's what we encourage parents, at some point when you feel like you have done all the right steps that you could, and, you know, if you've had to say, okay, that didn't work, we're going to rewind and try this, at some point you do have to do the release, you have to do the letting go. Um, And then, and that's when you just say a lot of prayers and sometimes those are answered in different ways. Absolutely. And one thing I really thought of, because this is probably the number one question I'm asked the most, is what could we have done differently? So just a couple of practical things. I would have been much better with cell phone control. Mm -hmm. That's where they make all these contacts. And my older daughter was so easy. We, um, I think, were very, very blessed. I think Ashley wasn't the norm as far as so how easy she was. I would have insisted on passwords, taking up the phone at night, all of those things. And so that was a big thing I did not do well. I would have set firmer boundaries with her. Um, Done my best to try to make her feel less entitled to thinking she had the right to have all of these things. Mm -hmm. Be on top of things as soon as they happen. This is something Melanie and I've talked about. Don't ignore or turn the other cheek. If you feel like something's a red flag, it probably is. Now, Every child who drinks, who cheats on a test, who sneaks out, who uses marijuana is not going to become a heroin addict and die. But about 10% of the population is going to be an addict. They are born, born that way. And once they use, they will be. And so don't turn the other cheek. Be proactive. Be on the same page as your husband. They will pitch you against each other. They are master manipulators. So those are just a few of the things that... I mean, like in, a, in an age whenever we were trying to respect our children's right to privacy. Um, right. I never had any. Oh, I didn't <laughs> mm-hmm. either. Yeah, and at my house, whenever my kids just randomly would come in and I would just say, hey, it's time for a phone check. They didn't give me their phone. I shut that phone off, and they knew it was going to be off for 24 hours, and you know, so they couldn't delete anything. 
And, you know, now if they deleted it before I got it, they got smart. But, you know, I could look back and see what was going on. But I agree with you. It's like if you recognize something is happening to the point where you would call it chronic, that's already an issue. If your child snuck out one time and you scared him or her to death with, you know, grounding or whatever, and they never did it again, it's one thing. But if the, if it is like, if it's worth it, no matter what the consequence is, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And don't even get me started on the privacy thing. Right now, if you're listening to this, search your kid's room. Mm-hmm. If you have any any inkling that something's going on, or even if you don't, that is your property. And you have my permission to go search your child's room, purse, car, backpack, and backpack, shoes, and don't do a cursory search. Look carefully because kids can hide things. And I, I would do a search and I would find things and then I'd search again the next day and find more things. Mm -hmm. So don't feel like kids have a right to privacy because they don't. And I always tell, would tell my kids, it is my job to keep you alive until you can make better decisions. And that will be, you know, for however long that I might have to do this or until you're no longer under my roof. And I no longer have the ability to do that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's How, the right you have. I agree with that 100%. <laughs> and uh, I reach out to Kim for a lot of advice. She's really great. And one thing I always tell her is I think uh, the fact that she has this voice that represents everyone is amazing to me because I joke kind of self-deprecatingly so that, you know, I'm, I'm a single mom and we're all kinds of broken. So I'm ripe for this situation, you know, and I look at Kim's family and it's not, it's not anything you would ever expect. So I think that's what makes it so much more powerful of a message because this truly can happen to anyone and everyone. No one is immune. Mm-hmm. And thank you for yeah. sharing. Yes. I mean, it is, um, I think this will help people. Yeah. And Kim, how are you doing now? How do you continue to have a healthy mental health state of mind? How do you, what are some tips that you, you use every day in your sure. husband and your daughter? How are they? Well, I, um, I see a therapist. I have someone who's wonderful. It took me several years. I've been seeing her for about a year, and I don't have to go that often, but she's fantastic. I have a great support group of friends that I can talk to. I did try at first going to um, groups like uh, I went to Al-Anon a couple of times, and that just wasn't right for me. Most people had a, a spouse that they were dealing with, and when it's your child, it's different. Um, I have my faith, so... I I pray a great deal. God sustains me. I try to stay busy. But I have found I've changed somewhat since then. I get the things done that I have to do. But, you know, it's harder to get the things done that I don't have to. One time when Kirby was on alcohol and Xanax, she beat her head against the wall of her bedroom. And so there was this big dent in the wall. And I just had it repaired when we're redoing her room in the past month because I'd love to go touch that. That was something where her head touched Mm. trying to reach out trying to be a resource to people helps me I try to be very very open about it it's such an isolating shaming embarrassing situation it's a family disease it's not just a disease for the addict it is a family disease and I really try hard to be open so that people can understand that it's not their fault um, my daughter's doing pretty good. You know, she's married. She's been married for a year. She's Ashley's good. She um, she stays very busy. And my husband, he's an engineer. So does that answer everything? <laughs> he He's doing good, though. He actually is on the board of 
our local treatment facility, and that has really helped him to do something very specific to be able to help people who are in crisis. Kim, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and telling your story. Um, thank you for bringing awareness to this situation. Is there anything else that you would like to say to anyone who's experiencing something like this? What would you say to, on another note, what would you say to people that know someone that's experiencing this? Because I think that's important, too. Because I think it's it's a that's what makes it so isolating. Part of it is... Uh, people aren't sure how to approach it or how to approach their friends or family members. Sure. Don't say, well, they're making bad choices. If they just didn't drink or just didn't use drugs, this wouldn't happen to them. They are an addict and addiction is a disease. The brain has changed the first time. Sure. If they had never used, they would be suffering from addiction in another way, whether it's shopping, gambling, sexual, there's all kinds, eating, there's all kinds of addictions. And so don't tell them, don't tell them that. Um, if you know someone who's suffering, be there for them. You know, don't pry, don't try to get gossipy details, but be there and just say, I'm here. If you need me, I can do research, internet research for you. If you are a parent who's going through this, reach out and get help right now you can call centers mm -hmm. you can call there are so many places where you can reach out and get help call if you're in midland call springboard um don't put it aside if you know someone and if you yourself are suffering please get help because people die from this so i would say don't hide behind the shame and the isolation reach out and there are so many resources to help you get help thank you kim Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you all for listening. If you would like more information about some of the treatment facilities mentioned on this episode or treatment options, contact Centers. Centers Solutions is a production of the Recording Library of West Texas. Post-production work is done by Bailey Hennis and Abby Wiggum. Content is provided by Melanie Size and Christy Edwards. Contact Centers for Children and Families at 432-570-1084 or the Recording Library at 432-682-2731. Email Melanie with questions you want answered on the show at msize at centerstexas.org. That's M-S-A-I-Z at C-E-N-T-E-R-S-T-X dot O-R-G. Both nonprofits are on all social media platforms. See you next time.